Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. Shout out to our two sponsors today, Running Warehouse and You Can. Ironically, ironically enough, this is why I don't do the, you know, Rolling introductions very often because I can't pronounce words. Waiting for that little giggle. Ali Caminiti is with us, who also is a UCAN sponsored athlete, which is, again, just, you know, by chance. That was not the point of having you on the show, but UCAN is sponsoring this episode. So shout outs to both Running Warehouse and UCAN. This is going to be a fun episode with Ali. Ali, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. I've, I've loved following you. Over on Instagram, not only are you super fast, but I love your the way you talk about running, the distances you run, the terrain you run on, and the way you approach it from a fun uh, side of things, but also teaching people how to be their best selves mentally, not only physically. And in addition to all this, you're also a coach. So, so many ways that we could take this conversation. Um, with that being said, you know, I, you, we talk about the mental side of things, and oftentimes, you know, usually that the chickens come to roost for the mental side of things oftentimes when things don't go incredibly well right it's easy for our mental game to be fairly on point when things are are going well or there's certain inertia to our training and our expectations therein with that said you recently raced tokyo and you did a great job recapping all of it as someone who was at the time you know working through your own course on mental training for runners what was it like to kind of put some of these principles in action while also working on them on the academic side of things Oh, well, Tokyo was uh, definitely a tough race for me. Um, During the race, I ended up getting a migraine at like mile 20, I want to say. I had my watch in kilometers, so it was was hard for me to figure out, do the math um, during. But it was probably between mile 20 and 23, I got a migraine. Um, And I don't know if you've ever had a migraine before, but essentially you get like an aura for the first 20 to 30 minutes. So during my aura, I get like some stroke-like symptoms where like words are really hard to put together. It's hard to like form a sentence, even like just thinking a sentence. Um, And my vision goes on one side. So I like lost vision on my right side and was like trying to look at my watch and like couldn't see the watch face. And like I'm very sensitive to light during that um, time. But I know that it's only going to last 20 to 30 minutes. Um, So I kind of could, you know, reality check and say, this is only going to last 20 to 30 minutes. Can you like keep moving forward for this duration of time and see what happens after that? And after the aura stopped, it was actually okay. It was like, I honestly didn't have a serious headache that I normally would have. Um, And so I could push a little bit more again after that point. Um, It wasn't to the degree that I was running the first 20 miles in, but I was still able to get back close to my um, average pace. Um, And yeah, so I think kind of staying calm in that difficult situation was definitely necessary. Um, But I ended up like weaving so much across the course, I think mostly during that time that I ran like an extra kilometer that was oh, like honestly the biggest struggle for me mentally like w- grappling with the fact afterwards that going into it i was like i can run a 630 pace for a marathon this is what i think that i can do and i ran a 630 pace but it wasn't the time that i was like a 630 pace is a 250 
And then I finished and it was like 254. And I was like, oh my God, I ran 43 point kilometers. Like, are you kidding me right now? Like, so I was able, I, that's the biggest thing. It's like letting the ego of it kind of go and be like, okay, I feel secure enough in myself that this is what I accomplished. This is what I set out to do. And I actually did it. It doesn't actually really matter that like, it's not reflected on the clock in that way. Um, but I'll probably still be holding on to that just a little bit until I run my next marathon. Because <laughs> um, it does. It's like a, a real knife. And you work with a lot of athletes. So what is it like? I'm sure like you have this already prepped exactly what you say to one of your athletes if they went through this situation. Does it feel a little harder to like have it sink in when you're saying it to yourself? Sometimes. Uh, I tend to really practice what I pe- preach and like... I tend to really buy into what I am saying to my athletes because I do say that stuff to myself too. And I say it because it works for me. Um, But it is something that is a practice. It's not like I can say something one time and it's like this very effective intervention. It is something that has to be practiced over and over and over again. So like reminding myself, like sometimes I'll be out on a run and I'll be, and it will come back up where something will nag me or like I will revisit a thought of something that I thought I had let go of before. Um, And I have to remind myself again that like I did the best I could and I did that under difficult circumstances and I have to be happy with that or content and satisfied that like I I really did do what I set out to do, which is honestly rare. Like I set pretty ambitious goals a lot of the times. Um, So I don't often accomplish what I set out to do. I often don't accomplish my goals um, because... I make them that way. Like I don't make, I don't set goals that are easily accomplished, but setting them always pushes me to get to a further limit. And that's kind of what I want to instill in my athletes is that you shouldn't make it easy for you. You should push yourself and try and set things that are going to, to like draw you closer to that, to finding that limit. And every time you get closer to it, the limit still gets farther away. You know, like you're never going to get there. You're never going to reach it. Um, And that's kind of the beauty of the process and like staying in it. And um, this is a lifelong sport, you know. Have you always approached goals that way? Mm. No, absolutely not. This All right. Like... What's been your What's been your evolution? You weren't prepared for me to ask such a short question. You used used to me being a little bit more verbose, so you like took a sip of water as I was asking this like three word question. So I apologize I for know, that. Right? Um, totally so bad. yeah, what's been your evolution in terms of the way you approach goal setting? So I think when I was young, I was very afraid of like feeling shame if I didn't accomplish a goal, if I didn't um, like appear successful to other people um or I would feel embarrassed that I like wasn't good enough or I couldn't do something so I would um really shy away from trying things or trying new things um or any in be in any situation where people could see me or like they maybe they would find out that like I wasn't actually like smart or good or like whatever it might be athletic maybe and that is so hard to like live life that way because then you never try things you never like find um your potential and i think i had this internal struggle where i was like 
part of me had this like fantasy of like, this is how I want my life to be. This is what I expect from myself. And it didn't align with my behaviors and how I was putting myself out there because I wasn't. Um, so something shift shifted um, when I decided like, f- kind of like, fuck, fuck everybody, like, fuck this. Like, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks or like, it only, it only really matters what I think and what I see in myself. And if my expectation for my life is not aligning with my reality. I have to bring those two things closer together in some way so that it feels um, like I'm living my truth, if that makes sense. And it, it with regard to running, like that may f- seem like a really um, maybe dramatic way to put it of like living your truth, but it totally is like that applies to almost everything, you know? Um, so like with running specifically, I had these like dreams. I was like, I want to break three hours in the marathon. And that was after my first marathon. I was like, I can be way faster than this. And that, and honestly, I had no business like thinking that <laughs> like at well, all. Well, obviously you did. Cause you just ran a two fifty four forty three K. So obviously you did have a business <laughs> saying that. What? But I saw that, right? And, like, if I voiced that out loud, there would be no reason for anyone to buy into that and, like, think that and believe in me. But I saw that and I believed in myself. But my work ethic and, like, my behaviors, the things that I was doing weren't aligning with that. So I was like, oh, if I can run, like, a 3.30 marathon without really training at all, then I should be able to run much faster if I train a little bit. But I didn't train enough. Like I I had these expectations for myself that I wasn't following through with, with the process, you know, with the actual training. So I would meet disappointment after disappointment when I would expect myself to run faster when I wasn't actually doing the work. And so after I did Chicago in 2017, I think, it was like, I am so done with this. Like I've had enough of not trying, not putting myself out there, not getting vulnerable and like feeling the hurt of training mentally, physically, emotionally, everything, and then being disappointed after I run a race. So I like kind of cracked down on myself and it was had this like big shift where I was like, okay, I'm committing now to this. And I had to continually recommit to it every week, every day, showing up all the time um, in order to become my best self. And it, and it doesn't just help with running. Yeah, it helped me become a better runner, but it also helped me become more secure in uh, my professional life and, like, how I want to be as, like, a contributor to society, you know? Um, being able to put myself out there um, and not let fear dictate what I do and how I live. And how did you determine – basically – all right, let me put it this way – when you set that stage for, okay, here are my expectations. Here is the faith I have in myself in terms of what I could possibly do, but it doesn't align with my current practices. How did you mm-hmm. set yourself up to do the correct practices? Like, you know, obviously you're a coach now, but you probably weren't a coach at that point. So how did you align yourself with the, I guess, right actions on a daily, weekly, monthly, and potentially even yearly basis to kind of like, you know, to, to smooth out the, the road for you to, to, to get there? Yeah. So the first thing I did was join a running group in my community because I, I was like, this isn't working me doing this on my own. And, and I realized it too. Like I 
was almost like afraid to be seen like running like going out doing things by myself like leaving the house to like go do stuff on my own it was like this weird level of anxiety to that I I was like why am I feeling this way this is so bizarre but as soon as I had a group I felt like supported and like like a space where I had accountability, I had to show up for it. Um, But also where I was like, everyone else is doing this too. Like I can be a part of this. And it was something that I did by myself. Like it was really scary and also became like the best thing for me ever, like to join this group. I ended up making really good friends there and feeling like the strength of a community was a huge, um, kind of reinforcer of the practice that I wanted to keep for myself. Yeah. And oftentimes when I was taking the steps to like up my training, maybe to align them with, you know, beliefs that a coach may have in me in terms of potential and stuff like that. Oftentimes those first couple forays into that increased training, it's, it's, it can be a scary process for me, at least like, it's been like, Oh my God, I am so tired. And like, Oh, I feel like this is, this is a lot like after like that initial excitement has peaked. Yeah. And then you kind of like the shine is off. Now I'm going to start. I'm going to mix metaphors all all episodes. Let me it's just totally fine. I love them. All right. So then, <laughs> then the shine is off the apple again to really mix a metaphor. And then it's like, oh, this isn't quite this isn't quite it. And I feel like for me and then I'm not this is this isn't a story about me. But like I know a lot of people fall in the same category. It's like that initial push doesn't quite take hold and then it kind of fall back onto what has been kind of the default mode of training. Um, how did you allay either that fear or that that gravity to the default and kind of like keep pushing towards uh, these new levels? Yeah, that's like really common. It's like an approach avoidance conflict, right? So you like want to jump in and then and you get in there. And it feels awesome and you have so much spunk to like get going on your goals and then it fizzles and you start avoiding again and you kind of like go back and forth. And I like to think about it's you on the outside of a breakdance circle, like getting ready to go in and you're like getting ready. You're like amping yourself up and then you never jump in. Um, So you never get to experience that. You just kind of like live in this like this like readying state. Um, and never really get to commit to the thing. And then you never get to reap the rewards. And so like attaining the reward has to be bigger than fearing the threat, like avoiding the threat. You know what I mean? Um, and it may seem weird to think about like running as a threat or like whatever the threat may be. Like, you would think, oh, well, accomplishing my goals, that's just a reward, right? But it's not. Like, accomplishing rewards does have um, consequences. And part of the consequence is, like, uh, the fear that induces from, like, putting yourself out there and that vulnerability and having to face all of that self-doubt of, like, the what if I don't? Or, but I have this, like, underlying internalized belief of, like, I'm not good enough that's kind of that pops up every now and again, like a, like a little, um, like a whack-a-mole. So it like pops up and then interferes with your, your behavior at the time and, and maybe prevents you from doing something, from going for a run and like starting that cycle, um, without identifying like what the underlying core belief is, is really critical. So like for me, my, I mean, I obviously just said it, but like for me, my underlying core belief is that I'm not good enough. 
And that isn't something anymore that um, interferes all the time, but it's like a single thread in like this thick rope that I'm climbing. So sometimes I touch it, like I touch that single thread and I feel that again in certain moments, but it's not a guiding factor in everything that I do. Like there have been moments in my life where I'm like walking this tightrope on that thread of I'm not good enough. Um, And so like, coming to awareness of that and being like, am I acting in service of this underlying belief or am I acting in service of what I really want? Like the preferred, the adaptive belief of like, I'm good as I am. So does that answer your question? (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure. Like it it answered my question and then talked like five more minutes about like really complex stuff that I can barely wrap my head around. So it was perfect. (laughs) It was a great answer. Um, so more of that please that was great keep up the good work um so how do you square this idea for your like for your own for your own self of the i'm not good Mm -hmm. enough piece which Uh is like the third rail of your personality and then the other piece of like this goal setting piece that you described Mm -hmm. of like constantly moving the goalposts so that you can kind of keep reaching 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 even though you might not get there it seems like that could be that could create a bit of a shit stew if it wasn't managed yeah. properly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, for some people, setting goals is like this. The reason they set goals is in order to accomplish them. And like, I don't think I necessarily set goals in order to accomplish them. Sometimes I'm setting goals just for the sake of directing the process in like a specific direction. Um, and sometimes along the way that direction shifts and I find something else that is maybe like calling to me a little bit more than that initial goal. Um, and so like setting goals in itself is really important, but being attached to to the goal is, um, a major downfall, I think. So like you're setting goals without a sense of attachment to whether or not they actually come true. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter if like the goal comes true. It matters like how I am in the process, like how I see myself, how I feel about myself. And when I'm working towards something, um, it's okay. So I'm going to mix another metaphor in for you. Um, you know how, uh, uh, the monarch butterflies have these massive migrations. Yeah. They migrate like 3,000 miles, right? And like so many of them. So they're like flying down, let's say, the coast from Canada to Mexico. But when you encounter a butterfly, you would never see that it had got traveled so far or was trying to go so so far. You just see it like living in the moment and like being in this space and like flitting from flower to flower. And like it looks like it's just like in the the – it's being present, Right. And so that's how I like to think about my goals. Like, yeah, I have this like big direction, like this huge migration. Uh, and that's the um, the like journey, right? Like the, the way that the um, process is directing me, the goal is kind of like this, this big pinnacle at the bottom. But I'm not necessarily focused on that all the time. I'm focused on being present and being in the moment and kind of just like embracing where i'm where i'm at um rather than like being very like forceful if that makes sense or like willful and when you have 
super tangible goals like some people have, right? Like some people might be yeah. breaking a, a whole number in a, in a marathon, right? As an example, five hours, four hours for you, three hours was, yeah. was a big time goal for you um, as opposed to like, hey, I want to run my best, right? Or things like that where like that's great. Um, but it's also a little ephemeral. Like it's not, you can't really wrap your arms around it. Right. And it can mean anything at any, in any given moment. Um, and there's plenty of people and who've gone after those big goals. And especially when you have a time goal. And as you know, like a marathon can be a fickle friend in that regard where like one little, one little variable can be out of whack on race day that you've no control over. And like, goodbye Mm -hmm. gold. If like you were pretty close to like the, the cutoff line or the margin there. So what's it been like for you? Um, as an athlete and as someone who mentors athletes, whether it's in you know, your mindset coaching, but also in your, your athletic coaching, um, for people who can fall into that trap, especially if they feel like, and you can confirm with them, that they're doing a lot of the things in the process that they should be doing. It's not like, hey, yeah, yeah that's your big goal, but like you're not really doing what you're supposed to be doing in order to get there. But like they're kind of checking all the boxes and it's still not happening, especially in the timeline that they've constructed. Yeah, that's kind of, um, that's definitely a challenge because if somebody looks on the surface like they're checking all the boxes to get to their goal, but the goal is never accomplished, are they really checking all the boxes? Like, is there something, because sometimes we think that we're doing enough, like we think we're doing everything we are supposed to be doing, but there are these underlying things where oh, we half-assed our mobility and strength training. Um, Or we sometimes push our run to the afternoon instead of the morning, which is fine to do sometimes. But like, are you making these little decisions in your training in service of your goal or in service of the fear or in service of um, this, uh, like, not wanting to? And so like this self-awareness is super important where like when you're about to make a decision, what is that in service of? Is it really like sometimes I would push a run to um, the afternoon when I was working. Um, I would have like 10 hour shifts and an hour commute in the morning and an hour commute in the afternoon. And so like doing my run in the evening after that was a bad idea. It wasn't good, but I didn't want to get up in the morning. I was tired. I wanted to sleep. And so like was the sleep really me like listening to my body or was it me just making an excuse like I could have easily gotten up you know what I mean I was not really just listening to my body I was hearing from my body what I wanted to hear in that moment so it was (laughs) that was not in service of my long-term goal you know what I mean um and and that's how I feel about that's how I feel about intuitive eating I'm like you don't want me to do intuitive eating no you don't you want me to make the inner voice in my head is not is not helping me here absolutely like sometimes we really do hear what we want to hear um so yeah so i would say if the goal still isn't happening you probably aren't doing everything the way that you should be doing uh doing it um and sometimes there is this underlying voice or like maybe it is largely mental i mean that that is mental right like when you're making these small choices over and over and over again that just chip away at um like the foundation of what you're doing and that's kind of the same way that i see like self-doubt or negative self-talk operating where it's like this underlying record that you don't 
um, here all the time that comes up in like little bits and phrases and kind of just like interjects and you're so accustomed to ignoring it and like just powering through your day that it just wreaks havoc on like the the foundation of who you are and like it's laying this like groundwork to for you to give up for you to like quit when it really counts you know um and so like starting to listen to that Wait, voice and listen yeah. hold on a second <clears throat> so people only hear self-doubt in like little spurts i feel like it's like the background music of like my my like entire life story like i feel like it's like this like it's always there like it's it's like it's it like is that, exactly um, it's like for me it's like it's like the, it's like the buzz from fluorescent lights it's like you might not hear it but it's there and it's ever present Hey, folks, I'm going to give a shout out to a sponsor of this episode, Running Warehouse, the place where I love to get all of my running shoes and attire. Running Warehouse provides just what it feels like limitless options with all of the top brands. And not only that, they're bringing new brands in all the time. I love Puma running shoes. Puma's now in the game at Running Warehouse as well. They're always adding new brands. And not only that, they have all the best shoes as soon as they come out. They have tons of great sales. And you get the full experience. You get all the data on the shoes, the stack, the weight, the height, all of that. In addition to that, they have fantastic running warehouse reviews on so many shoes, not just a review of one individual. Oftentimes, it's two or three people weighing in on how they use the shoe. And it's an extremely comprehensive um, set of options that you have over at Running Warehouse. So if you haven't already done so, go check them out today. And if you want to know the best way to do that, hit the link in the show notes that will not only bring you right to running warehouse but also it's an affiliate link which means nothing for you but it does help out the podcast which i would really appreciate so thank you to running warehouse and thank you for clicking that link and getting your gear at the best place around i completely agree that it's always there it is this background music and but sometimes it also like if you're really defended and like really good at protecting yourself from it then it's it might come up in like little images or like little um uh like volcanic eruptions that you're like trying to like pat down you know um and not necessarily in large, like overbearing ways that like you really feel like you're really, a lot of us are really good at protecting ourselves um, from hearing any of that negativity, you know, um, but that doesn't mean it's not still happening. And it's sort of like this fractured under underlaying of um, like the way that we live our lives and the things that we do and how we accomplish our goals. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I want to go back to the Tokyo <laughs> Marathon because I think it's okay. what happened at mile 20-ish for you um, is something that I think can be instructive for a lot of people. Um, so you have that aura happening. It's you know a significant physical response that you're having at that yeah. moment. In addition to that, it's at mile 20 of a marathon. I don't want people to lose sight of like when this happened. This wasn't like I'm walking around my house and all of a sudden I was feeling like I can't see in my vision and, and like, you know, like I'm having some trouble with like some balance and stuff like that. Like this is at mile 20 marathon, which is already hard enough. Right. That's usually like yeah. the worst part of someone's day already is like that exact moment. So talk to me about the fact that you, despite weaving more than you would have liked, basically maintained an incredible pace at a stage in a race where most people's pace falters even in the best of circumstances. So I feel like there's a lot of mental strength 
that came out in that moment um, that I'd love to go through. Cause I know that for so many people, those are that, again, that 10 K left in a marathon and, and you can extrapolate that out to so many other points in certain races, whether it's a mile left in a 5k or, you know, like that, you know, two and a half laps into a mile. Like you can just put this, put this line in the sand at any race um, yeah. where it just starts to feel incredibly challenging. And it's just so easy to, for like, to give in that 5%, that 7%, um, and just just kind of lay off the gas a little bit, just just to, to give your your body and mind and emotions a break. It didn't seem like you did that. So talk to me about, you know, just just the best practices for those kind of moments, whether someone's going through a migraine or something uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit different. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at my Strava, you definitely see a dip at those <laughs> those like two or three miles. <laughs> I definitely slowed down during that period. Okay. Um and then I picked it back up. So I, I think I slowed down to like 7.10 to 7.15 pace for those couple of miles. And then I went back into like the 6.30s for the next, for the last couple of miles. Um, it's really hard when you feel so close to the end and your brain is like, we're almost there. We can start like easing up. Like it's a trick. Like, don't believe it. Like, your brain... Okay, so I used to work in a prison. And we had to read this book called Anatomy of a Setup, which is, like, <laughs> beforehand, so that you're not uh, at risk to be taken advantage of as a prison employee, right? Your brain is doing this to you all the time. This is what, like, that background music is. It's That's the setup, right? So that when a big thought comes up or even like something that is still a trick like it's okay to slow down or you've done enough or whatever it is at mile 20 to 23 that your brain had been setting you up to buy into that thought at that critical moment where you have this choice to either push or like back off the gas you know um and so it's like an abusive kind of relationship where your your brain wants to protect you all the time but in this situation it's preventing you from accomplishing what you really want to accomplish so it's like this helicopter parent right it's like you should slow down because we need to like conserve a little bit just in case there's like an ice age or whatever like you have to you know do something like really epic after this um but like the reality is you don't need to you don't need to conserve like you have uh, prepared yourself to be able to push and it's like okay another metaphor oh my god I'm sorry so many metaphor metaphors but this it's is like great you... this, this is right up my alley I'm loving this <laughs> it's like you're driving and your gas tank gets close to the gas light but nowadays we know that there's like 50 extra miles after the gas light goes on you know what I mean like it's not that's like the gas light going on your brain is like ding 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 we need to slow down like let's slow down what way will Allie listen in order to slow down so that we can get her to like chill out. And maybe that was the migraine. Maybe the migraine was like, let's get her to stop because this is the only way she's going to listen to us. Um, but obviously I didn't listen because I was like, this is stupid. I can get past a migraine, like whatever. Uh, which like, honestly, that's kind of like borderline <laughs> crazy. But <laughs> but you're you have to like pay more attention to your mind than your brain in that and like you're you're it's like your eye 
versus your brain. Your brain is going to try and like shut the operating system down and your mind has to say, no, we know what we're doing. We can do this. We don't need to slow down and kind of like stay the path. Um, Did that answer your question? (laughs) For sure. And I have another question I want to ask, uh, but before we do, little ad for you can um i'm a big fan of you can they sponsor you as well um for me, me i've always been a big fan of the bars which are basically like candy for all intents and purposes i do love the edge energy gels which actually like go down really fast and they don't have that lingering taste in them you might have tried other gels where you can still taste whatever flavor that is 15 minutes later it's not the best um whereas edge energy gels goes down really fast you might have seen Emma Bates rocking these over at the Boston Marathon every 30 minutes. She was grabbing one right off the table. I've been a big fan of those. And actually, new thing that I've been doing the last week and a half is I've been taking every morning. So I'm a morning runner, Allie. After I drop my kids off at the bus stop, I go for my run. Is I'm having one scoop of the energy powder every morning because mm. I feel like I have – I'm really coming to grips with like my gluten my gluten sensitivity. And I think mm. it's really been an issue for a long time. So this, So what I've been doing recently is one scoop every day in the morning of the energy powder. Holy cow. It has been a whole new world for GI and just energy. Before I was using it just for long runs. Now I'm using it all the time. It's changed everything for me. So I'm a huge fan. If people go to youcan.co forward slash rambling, you can save 20% on your order. It's fantastic stuff. Allie, what's your, what products are your go-tos for you can? I, <coughs> I do love the bars. They are amazing. Um, but now that you mentioned that, I think I might start using the energy and protein mix mm. um, in the morning. Cause I definitely find that I need a little bit more protein first thing in the morning, especially like after having a kid. I don't know. My body is like completely different. Um, And like I definitely do better energy wise when I have more protein in the morning. So I think the energy protein mix is probably a good thing to start doing. Um, And then I do love the uh, pre-run drink mix too, the energy mix. It is awesome. I just got the cocoa flavor. Oh, I'm doing Cran Raz, which I've been a big fan of. I haven't tried the cocoa. It's pretty good. It tastes like a little coconutty. Um, I thought it was going to be more chocolatey, but it's kind of like chocolate and coconut. Um, the orange is also, I mean, the orange is fine, but this one is like, it's it tastes way better. All right. And last thing, uh, if you're doing, the, if you go in the energy protein powder combo, I was talking, you can last week, they're like, do the cookies and cream. It's the one that mixes the best. So people like, they like the mix. Too. I hate protein powder that clumps. It's an automatic no-go. It goes right in the trash for me. Um, cookies and cream, if you're going that route, that is easily the the best mixable one. It's heavy. It's like, if you like vanilla, it's more vanilla than chocolatey. But anyway, mm. you can.co forward slash for me to save 20%. Um, all right. Going back to what you were saying um, about that, that, that keeping that fine line, thinking about your mind and the brain. Mm-hmm. What's been your relationship just in terms of like the mind-body connection with this stuff? Because- you know, for me, I'm like, I'm being fully aware of all of the, the literature and I'll read all the books and listen to all the podcasts. It's your brain. It's your mind. This is the this is the primary driver here. But when I get to the moment of truth, it doesn't feel like the mind. It feels like my legs are made yeah. of tar and they're just going to stick to the ground and there's nothing I can do about it. And this is just a physical problem. And everything that I may have thought ahead of time is now completely out the window so what's been your your process with this? Because I feel like I go in with certain beliefs 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, like what Mike Tyson says, like what you know, everyone has a plan until they get, they get punched in the face or punched in the mouth or whatever. That's how I feel. <laughs> I feel like I get punched in the mouth and I forget everything. And I'm just like, oh, my legs don't work again. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think you make a really good point because operating in like the crisis situation is always going to be different than it is in regular practice. So like part of it is practicing this mindset, this mentality in your training. And and I don't mean like practicing it all the time. So like on an easy run, I'm not out there being like, I'm like, no, my legs are not tired. Like I'm going to get through this. But like on in a workout or in um, a long run, I am really committed to the purpose of what I'm doing um, and not like, uh, you know, pulling myself away from that. So I'm not like stopping a million times on my long run. Um, I pack everything that I need and I just go do it and like get it done. Um, I'm not, I don't like, if I have jog recoveries on a speed workout, I'm not like pulling over to the side of the track and like drinking water or something or like, or walking the recoveries. Like I'm just doing the thing. I'm just like getting the task done and moving through it. And so like moving through it, um, in practice kind of helps me on uh on race day and like this is something that has to be practiced over time in order to do well in a crisis situation um or like in in the moment that moment of truth that you described but like at the same time i am always gonna bet on myself if there is a uh a crisis situation like i act I behave really well under pressure in like clutch situations. I I trust myself to like go through difficult moments. And I think that's kind of what it comes down to is like, do you trust yourself? Do you trust your body to get you through this? And like developing that over time is critical because if you have any like lack of trust in yourself, and it's not necessarily trust in the training, it's trust in you, you know, and like what you can do. Um, and like how you can be. So yeah, I think it just comes down to like being true to yourself. You've given so many great tidbits here. Before we get into the final segment that we do on the podcast all the time, five shoe questions presented by Running Warehouse, which I just love. I love any anytime I get a chance to talk shoes, I'm all in. Uh, with that said, you're providing so many great nuggets here. People want to learn more from you, especially on the mental training side. I know you have a course that usually runs a few times a year. What's what you know? What where can people get more information on stuff like this? Yeah, so uh, my website is mindrunnercoaching.com, um, and my Instagram is tiny but mighty runner. Um, and so either or, if you want to uh, send shoot me a DM or um, head over to my website, and you could. Um, send a message that way um that those are the best ways to get in touch with me i'm not really on any other social media that makes two of us <laughs> i'm on twitter but it's basically where i just like get my basketball content um <laughs> and you're an art therapist too what does that mean yeah um so as an art therapist it's essentially like a master's level mental health a professional who focuses on using the creative process as an intervention um, rather than just talking about things. So while we are trained in verbal psychotherapy, we also use the creative process in whatever way that may mean, um, using visual arts um, to find uh, like a safe modality for expression. 
Gotcha. What's an example of that? Um, an example of like an art intervention. Yeah. I know this um, is going very far afield of yeah. the stated purpose of this podcast, <laughs> it, it but could I'm just so be anything. <laughs> no, it's it is really awesome. Um, so like in the prison, we would do a lot of murals, uh, which like mural painting teaches like collaboration and conflict resolution, especially when you're working with other people. Um, so I would lead a mural group, um, in particular where we would work together to create something. Um, and it's really about negotiating with other people and like maintaining relationships and building, um, and like, uh, working through challenge with others, um, in a, like a safe and cohesive way. Interesting. So that's wow. one example. That's amazing. <laughs> All right, let's get into five few questions presented by Running Warehouse with Allie Caminiti. This is going to be fun. Allie, what is your favorite daily trainer? Right now, I use the Hoka Rincon for pretty much all my easy runs. Um, I used to run in the Saucony Kinvara. And like, honestly, I change brands a lot, but that's what I'm using right now. So does... Think of those two shoes. Does that mean you tend to uh, like the, like the lightness of shoes? You want you want a lightweight daily trainer? Yeah, I'm five feet flat. I'm pretty small, so <laughs> I like my shoes to be light, really light, so I don't have to be like carrying anything too heavy around. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm a big fan of the lightweight daily trainers as well. Again, the tiny but mighty runner, right? That's your Instagram profile, <laughs> and for good reason. All right, so so you like the lightweight daily trainers by choice. Um, what is your favorite racer? Because some um, cause the, the shoes, two shoes you just mentioned, there's definitely people who mentioned those as their favorite race day shoes. Yeah, I mean, totally. And that, to each their own. I probably wouldn't race in either of those um but i do like a carbon plate in my racing shoe so i have been using the alpha fly for longer distances and then i've used um the vapor fly for like half marathon or below okay when you're choosing a daily trainer besides having a carbon plate what are some of the mm -hmm. other things that you like or that you're looking for that those two shoes bring you as opposed to maybe some other ones for the daily trainer or for no, the racer for the, for the racer Oh, okay. Um, I definitely feel a lot more pop with the uh, carbon plate. Um, my legs don't fatigue as fast. If I go for a 20-mile long run in my Rincones, which is fine to do, I'm gonna. it's going to take me a little longer to recover than it will to recover from a 20-mile run in like uh, a, a nylon or a carbon fiber-plated shoe. Um, I usually don't run in my... Uh, carbon plated shoes for runs but for races I definitely want to feel that pop and feel that like response um and like delay fatigue as long as I can during a race gosh and what about the alpha fly do you like more for the longer distance than the vapor fly it has a lot more cushion um it's definitely like uh more there's more like structure i guess beneath the shoe than the vaporfly the vaporfly is a little closer to the ground um which i like for shorter distances but for the bigger distances i want to feel protected yeah because i'm thinking of the four shoes you mentioned so far and the alpha fly is, is definitely the heaviest so do you feel like yeah. you're still getting like bang for your buck from like a responsiveness perspective from a responsiveness perspective even though it is on the heavier side compared to some of these other shoes 
I do because of that return of energy, um, that like pop that it's giving me and the support. So even though they're a little bit heavier than the other ones, it's, it kind of balances out because they're they're giving me that energy return. And I, at the end of the day, when I'm racing, I want to run fast. All right. What was the first running shoe you ever fell in love with? I used to run in, I think it's called the Brooks Cadence. And I ran in that because I loved the colors. But they changed the model so much, like every, like from one model to the next, I was like, this is a totally different shoe. And not that I knew what I was doing when I was wearing that shoe. I had no idea. Like my shoe probably really didn't matter that much. Um, but yeah, I stopped using it. I don't even, I think I switched from the Cadence to the Kinvara at some point. Um, but yeah, that was my first love. That's like every runner's like nightmare. Is when like the running shoe that they love, like they like, oh, we did an update. Like this is an update. This is worse. <laughs> it's a this? totally different shoe. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of that, maybe it's the, and maybe it's the same answer. Uh, what shoe have you bought or tried on before that you really wanted to love, but it just didn't work for you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, the ultras, like I really wanted to to love ultras. Cause, and they feel great, like with the size of the toe box, but I had been so used to wearing like higher drop shoes that I think it was going to take me a really long time to like adjust to a zero drop. Um, maybe I should try the ultras with the four millimeter drop at some point and see how that goes. Um, but yeah, yeah going they have from the slim like fit now. eight to they have zero. The slim fit now too, oh. which is a little bit more tapered for like people who have more normal, not normal, but like more like standard shoe width. Okay, yeah. Maybe I'll give that a go, too. Foot width. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. Is it the Rivera? Is it the Rivera? Is like their normal I daily trainer think. now? I think that has like I the... I think so. Like, it's like kind of like in the Kinvara realm of like lightness and, you know, like kind of like that up-tempo daily trainer. Yes. Yes. All right, Allie. Last one before we okay. get going. If money was no object, what shoe would you buy in 2023? I really want to try the Saucony Elite is that what it's called? The like new, newer yeah. racer the endorphin that they elite. have. Yes, that's the one. I really want to try. The green machine, the one that like everyone <laughs> got with like those big unboxings with like the hammer and everything. Oh yeah, that's yeah that one. <laughs> <laughs> but I really want it to come in the box too, <laughs> in that yeah. special like crate. <laughs> That was pretty cool. Yeah, I love watching like, all my friends got one. Like the crowbar and they're opening it up. Actually, um, my good friend Peter Bromka, he actually he ran uh, Boston in them. Oh wow, how'd it go? Well, I got to talk to him about the shoes. I, I feel like I talked to him about the race, but I didn't talk to him about the shoes. So I got to find out. But it seems like people have interesting opinions. Also, I have talked to some people that got like the early shoes that like before mm -hmm. they came out, like when they were still in embargo. And it sounds like some of those shoes were firmer than some of the shoes that have come out since. So I think there's also mm. been, like, if you look at some of the shoe reviewers that I love, like, say, like, Believe in the Run, who do a great job. Great. They talk about how, like, it's firmer than the Saucony Pro, Endorphin Pro, which I'm a huge fan of. And then I've yeah. talked to, like, other people who got them a little bit later, like Kafuzi. Like, I was talking to him. He's like, yeah. He's like, my, my Endorphin Elites are just as soft, if not softer, than the Saucony Endorphin Pro, which he also really likes. So yeah. it seemed like it, depending on like when people got theirs in the embargo process, it may have altered some people's opinions. So I really want to try it out. I don't know if like it's at a store that I can like try it on, but I, I'm yeah, I'm really I'm excited. It but it definitely does seem like an amazing shoe. 
Agreed. Especially, like, I love the Endorphin Pro. Um, so if it's similar to that, I can't imagine it would be bad. All right. Ali Caminetti, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been an absolute Thanks pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was great. All right. Have a great rest of your day.